Welcome to the Central Christian Church Podcast. We pray this message helps you find and follow Jesus. If you would like to connect with us more, please visit us at centralsj.org. Today, the title of the message is Salvation 101. Salvation 101. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to Romans chapter 10 as we continue our study uh, through this amazing book, the book of Romans. And if you have some notes, this is where your notes begin. The question is, what is salvation? What is, what is salvation? Like, what does that even mean? And the short answer to that is it's being in right relationship with God. Salvation, simply put, is being in right relationship with God. With God. If you were with us a couple weeks ago, we took this 30,000 foot level view of, of Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. And we discovered in Romans chapter 9 that he writes about how Jewish people and really the nation of Israel as a, at large, why have they not experienced this thing called salvation? And, and he talked about that extensively in Romans chapter 9. Chapter 10, he writes about how they, they can experience salvation and how everyone, you and me, everyone, can experience salvation. We're going to look at that today. And then chapter 11, he talks about God's plans for not only the Jewish people, but also Gentiles, people like you and me who are not of Jewish descent, how we can experience salvation together. And so today we're going to be walking through the first half of Romans chapter 10, where Paul is teaching us again about salvation. And it's vital for you, for me, for all of us to have a, a, a working understanding of what is salvation, to understand what it means, to understand how you and I can, can be saved, and, and to understand how salvation works. Because if we don't, our relationship with God is going to ebb and flow based on our performance. And so whenever we're, we're performing really well, we feel like, man, I'm, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. Therefore, I feel very close to God. But, but maybe I had a rough week, and so I didn't pray like I know I should. Maybe I did some things I know I, I, not pleasing to God. Now I feel like maybe God's mad at me. Maybe God's distanced from me. And is that how the child of God is supposed to live their life? It is, are you walking on thin ice at all times is a good question. And I think that understanding of salvation would be no. Salvation is so absolutely essential. Not only is it essential, it's a foundation of our Christian faith. Salvation is the beginning of our walk with God. Salvation and the message of salvation that you and I carry, it, it delivers the power of God to people that we meet on a day-to-day -day basis. If you've been with us throughout our, our study of Romans, early on in, in the book of Romans, Paul kind of lays out this thesis statement in Romans chapter one. Really all of Romans is unpacking what is salvation? How can you experience it? And here's what Paul said, Romans one six, verse 16 says this. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. Listen, when you share the gospel with people, you're not just sharing your ideology. You're not just sharing a religious perspective. You're not just sharing your worldview. You're sharing with them the opportunity for them to experience the power of God in their life. And Paul says it's first for the Jews and then for people like you and me, Gentile people. Verse 17, for the, in the gospel, a righteousness. Now, righteous simply means I have a right standing. In the gospel, a right standing from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And the remainder of Romans is Paul unpacking this statement to us. And so we've been discovering this. It's deep into the pool stuff. And today we're going to be marveling at discovering what does it mean to experience 
experience salvation. And really here at Central Christian Church, if you're fairly new, we just want you to know this isn't just something we do. It's really all of what we do. We say this here at Central, we exist to help people find and follow Jesus. In more theological terms, we could say we exist to help people experience salvation from Jesus and live in apprenticeship to Jesus. That, that's what we're all about, and, and that's really what, what, why we exist as, as a church. And so Paul is going to begin to unpack this for us. So if you, again, if you have your Bibles, Romans 10, we'll be looking at verse 1. Uh, the first point here that Paul's going to make, though, is just having a heart for others to experience salvation, a heart for others and their, their salvation. Here's what Paul says in verse 1. He says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God For the Israelites is that they may be saved. They would experience salvation. Really, this is Paul's heart, not just for the the Israelite people, his own family, his own heritage, his his own countrymen were Israelites, but for for all of humanity to experience, experience salvation, to experience this radical right relationship with God that's only available through Jesus Christ. And here's just a good question. Is that your heart too? And I have to look in the mirror and say, is that really my heart? Is it my heart for everyone to experience salvation? Listen, we live in a great city. We live in, in, in the wealthiest city in, in America, but we also live in a city where brokenness is rampant. It, we don't have to look very far to see homelessness every, everywhere we turn. And, and, and yes, it's a beautiful city. Yes, it's, it's a wonderful city that we get to live in Silicon Valley with all of its, its accolades and technology and, and, and really on the front edge of, of changing the world as we know it. But it certainly has its challenges. And when you see those challenges, does your heart break? And does your heart turn to, man, I know the solution. The solution is people need Jesus. Or do we say, man, I wish... Newsom would figure out his stuff. Or we, we, we point to politics. We point to, to people to say, man, you got to get it under control. Really, the reality of it is what, what we need at the core of, of us individually, as a city at large, as a state, certainly as a nation, and as a world, is a heart for God, a heart that would turn back to God and experience his radical grace and life-changing power. And my question to you, to me, is, is, is that your heart too? Is your heart long for people just to experience the life-changing power of God? And if it does, Paul says, man, it's my heart's desire and it's my prayer. And here's the reality. History is silent on great moves of God that did not start with prayer. History is silent on revivals and great awakenings that didn't begin with people broken for their city, people broken by brokenness around them. And, And just a good question is, how are we doing with that? How are we doing with that? I'm not going to belabor this one. We talked about it extensively when we studied Romans chapter 9. So if you're with us, you remember that. If not, you can go back and listen to the podcast January 21st. We talk extensively about about what is that? How can we live with a heart for other people? How can we lead people into a real relationship with Jesus? And so you can check that out. Uh, But for the sake of time and your Super Bowl pregame, we're going to move forward. Um, Here's the second point, though. Salvation hinges on freedom from the law. Salvation hinges on freedom from the law. And we don't often think of it in this way, but here's what Paul says. Romans 10, verse two through three says, for I can testify about them, speaking of the Jewish people, that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness. In other words, they're, they're very zealous for God but, but they decide to try to please God in such a way that causes them to only think of themselves. 
For example, uh, the, probably the greatest uh, understanding of, of Jewish law is the Ten Commandments. And so don't steal, don't, don't lie, don't commit adultery, keep God number one, don't have false idols. Uh, the list goes on. And so Jewish people, they're so zealous for God. There are, in the Hebrew language, there's 613 letters in the Ten Commandments. And so they say, man, we really love God. We're going to prove that we really love God. So they created 613 laws around the Ten Commandments that they were to adhere to. 248 affirmative laws, 365 negative laws. Uh, and what happened is it causes them to say, God, we're so zealous for you. We're, we're so passionate for you. And they displayed it in that way, but they, they missed right standing with God in the process. And, and the unfortunate thing is it still happens today. And you, you've seen people like this. You've talked to people like this. Now, uh, obviously, most people don't have 613 laws that they're trying to live up to. Um, they, they don't really even know 613 laws. And like, like you said, thank God for that. Um, but, but if you ask them, you talk to someone, you know, most logical people, if you ask them, hey, do you believe there's a God? Uh, they'll say yes. Most people will say yes to that. I mean, you look at the creation, look at the stars, you look at the cosmos, you look at your anatomy, you look at how we're made, you look at the creatures on the ground, like surely there's a designer here. Most people would land there. According to ChatGBT, 80% of people believe that there is an afterlife. And so if you were to ask someone, hey, do you, when you die, you think you're going to go to heaven, you think you're going to go to hell? Most people will say, I think I'm going to go to heaven. And you say, well, that's awesome. Why? Why do you think that? And they'll give you some variation of this answer because I'm a good person. And then they'll begin to unpack why they're a good person. Well, I coach my little league baseball team. I I contribute to this cause. I give financially to that organization. I, I believe in social justice and doing good in our city, all of which are wonderful things but none of which will get you into heaven. Uh, my wife and I, Tiffany, we were having a conversation a few months back, maybe a couple years now, with a lady in Willow Glen, right here in town. And uh, we were just talking to her about uh, spiritual things. And, and she was like, yeah, I think I'm good with God. And, and she began to unpack her list, you know, of why she thinks she's good with God and wh- why she's going to go to heaven. And, and one of the things, I just found it humorous. She said one of the things that she just distinguishes her in God's sight is, is she only sleeps with her husband and a few other men. And that's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. And I was like, wow, well, that's, that's wonderful. That's good. You know, but her standard, her standard is everyone around me is sleeping with multiple partners, including their husband. I only sleep with my husband and a few others. Therefore, I am pleasing in God's sight. And while we may find that humorous, people around us live by that standard. They've created, they might not have 613 laws based on the Ten Commandments, but they've created a law in their mind. And they say, because I keep the laws... As good or bad as we may think them to be, they say, therefore, I'm good with God. Therefore, I'm going to, I'm going to heaven. And so they would say, I'm very spiritual. I think, I think God's good, but they're basing their right standing with God based on rules that they've made up in their minds. And Paul is saying they, they have, they, 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 they don't know a righteousness that comes, that comes from God. Verse 4 says this, Christ is the end of the law. So whether it's the Ten Commandments, whether it's 613 laws, or it's a law you've made up in your own mind, this is a big statement. Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness, right standing with God for everyone who, who believes. And this is really good news. And I think often we read that and we think, I don't really understand what that means, but it sounds good. So I'm, gonna keep, I'm just going to keep on going. Uh, but, but understanding this has significant impact in your life. There is magnitude to this this statement that there is freedom from from the law. 
But Jewish people would say, man, I, I think I'll be right with God because I obey the law. A lot of people in our culture would say, because I'm a good person, I think I'm going to be right with God. And, and there's challenges with that. Uh, for example, Isaiah 64, 6 says, we are all infected and impure with sin. And sin is simply saying, God, I know your standard. I didn't live up to it. I missed the mark, so, so I've sinned. And, and the wages of sin, the Bible says, is, is death. It says when we display our right deeds, our righteous deeds, so we do things that are right, they're really nothing but, but filthy rags. The literal translation there is, is minstrel cloth. Like it's not even like, it's kind of repulsive in God's sight. The idea here is if you commit five murders, but you live the rest of your life and you don't kill anybody, are you still guilty? Are you still in trouble? Absolutely. And so we, we've been infected. We've been impure. We've, we've displeased God. We're unrighteous in his sight. So no matter how, what good we do now, we're still in trouble is what Isaiah is saying. Romans three nineteen through 20 says this. Obviously, the law applies to those to whom it is given. For it is, its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. So the purpose of the law is to show us, here's what, here's what God's standards are. Here's what he expects from you. And the challenge with that is that, that it's really impossible for any of us to live up to it. So we come to this place to say, I've blown it. God, I need a savior for no one will ever be made right in God's sight by doing what the law commands for the law simply shows us how sinful we are. It's this mirror to show us, man, I have really blown it. I blew it here. I blew it here. I blew it here. So this idea that now I can become a good person now because I'm a good person now, because I keep the law, I'm going to be made right in God's sight is this a false belief and a lie at best. It says we won't know how messed up we are until we try to do good. And one of my favorite quotes from C.S. Lewis says, you'll, you'll never know how bad you are until you try to be good. And that's true, right? Uh, I remember when I surrendered my life to Jesus, and I thought I was a good person, but I was like trying to live, a young guy trying to walk in purity, trying to guard my mouth, trying to guard my thought life. And I was like, holy smokes, I'm really jacked up. And, and I really need the grace of God in my life. But until you try to keep all the laws, you'll never really know how desperately you need a savior, and that's Paul's point there. But the good news of salvation is that in Christ, you were, were now, 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 we're now dead to the law. Paul tells us that in Romans 10, and he taught on that extensively in Romans 7. So let's just look at that briefly. Romans 7, verse 4 says this so, so, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law. How did you die to the law? Through the body of Christ. I want us to just go back on this for, for a moment because it's vital for us to grasp this reality. You're dead. You're dead to the law. In Romans chapter 5 and chapter 6, he, he makes this case how you and I were once in Adam. We were in Adam. When it, it talks about when, when, whenever Adam sinned, sin, sin entered the world. It invaded. It, it permeated. It, it permeated our human existence. It tainted us. It impacted us. And we were once under this reign of Adam, under this reign of sin and death. But whenever you surrender your life to Jesus, you enter this reign of life, reign of peace. You're under the reign of, of Christ. And, and whenever once in Adam, but now we are, we're in Christ. And that's an important phrase for us to understand. We're in Christ. And we Bible talks about that a lot. Colossians 3.3 says, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Galatians 2.22, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives 
in me. 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Romans 6.11, so that you also may, may consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1, therefore, if anyone's, uh, therefore, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Listen, we're, we're in Christ. And so, so whenever you're in Christ, you're, you have the same standing that, that Christ has because we're in him. When he died, we died. Whenever, whenever he rose, we rose. When he ascended, we ascended. That's why the Bible would say you're seated at, with, at the right hand of God in Christ. Just right now, it's like as good as it's, it's already happened. And so to be a Christian, really salvation 101 is to understand that you're in Christ. So when God looks at you, he doesn't see the right things you've done. He doesn't see the wrong things you've done. When he looks at your life, when he evaluates your life, he's going to judge you based on the righteousness of Christ. How is that? Because you're in him. When he sees you, he sees his son. You're in Christ. And this is amazing. The reason you die, the reason Christ died on the cross was because of the law. And you might think, well, what does that mean? Like, why, why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Because of the law. Here's what Galatians 4 4 through 5 says, uh, but when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. So this is Christmas time. Uh, it's, it's get out the stencil, get out the trees. It's hanging the lights. Jesus is born. All right. But he's born under the law. And so he's born to, to Mary and Joseph who, are, who are, are Jewish people. They're born under the law. When you read the Christmas narrative, they're doing things in keeping the law. He's circumcised on the sixth day. He's dedicated at the temple. He's doing things. He's born under the law. Uh, until the time of Christ, the way a person was made right with God was really just striving to keep, keep the law in order to please God. But now God steps into humanity. And why does God need to do all those things? Why does God need to fulfill the law? He was born under the law in order to redeem you, to redeem me who are under the law, those who are under the law. Every person in all creation is under under the law. The Bible talks about this in Romans chapter 2, how, how God has written his law on your heart, on, on my heart, uh, that we all understand this framework of right and wrong, this moral compass that we're all innately born with. And ultimately, Paul makes a case in Romans 2 that for those who have never heard the gospel or don't, don't understand what, what God's done through Jesus, they're going to be judged according to their obedience to what God has written on their, their heart. He talks about that in Romans chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. But uh, but, but God's written his law on your heart. There's a museum in New York City uh, called the Bible Museum. And I've got a picture for you. I'm going to show it here on the screen. I've not been there, uh, but it looks pretty amazing. I, I had uh, someone that I know went there, and they spent like five hours on this tour at the Bible Museum in New York City, and they said they didn't even get to see it all. But this is one of the rooms there, and it's this room that, that basically is all about the law. And the, the, there's the law that's written on the floor, and the law's written on the ceiling, the law's written on the walls. And you look at the person in front of the, you, and the law's written on them. You look at yourself, and the law's written on you, illustrating for you and for me that God's law is written, woven into our universe. It's written on your heart. It's written on your mind. It's, it's everywhere that you look in creation, the law of God. And, and the law of God is, it's God's law. And the law is as just as, 
as God is, and the result of breaking the law is sin, and the consequence of sin is death. Not just a physical death, though that's certainly part of the effects of sin, but worse than that, an eternal death. And so what did God do? He was born under the law. He honored the law. He kept the law. He fulfilled the law. He falsely obeyed the law. He never broke one law. And on the cross, he who was perfect, he took your place, he took my place, and God laid on him who knew no sin to become sin for us. And he was punished as your sin, as my sin deserves. Now back to Romans 7, verse 4, he says, So, brothers and sisters, you also died to the law. How? Through the body of Christ. We talked about this when we we were studying Romans 7, but... But if you remember, we talked about this illustration, like if you're driving on the 17 to Santa Cruz and you're on a a, a motorcycle and you're going really fast, you're weaving throughout traffic like sometimes they do. And uh, and you're like, man, I hope that guy doesn't crash and die. But if he does crash and die uh, and drives off the cliff, and do do the cops come up to that guy and do they put handcuffs on him for reckless and prudent driving? Like, buddy, you really blew it. I know you're dead, but you're gonna pay for this. No, they don't do that. Why? Because he's dead. And when you're dead, the law doesn't apply. There's no longer speed limits. There's no longer reckless and prudent driving. You're not punished as if you can still adhere to the law. And so what, what Paul is saying, when Christ died, he died to the law. The law is he's done with the law. Now, the law is not dead, but in Christ's body, he, he's, he's removed from that. He's outside the jurisdiction of the law, which means the law cannot condemn him anymore. And because you're in Christ, the law cannot condemn you anymore. That's why Paul would say this in Romans 8. Therefore, in light of that, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. And that's why that's pretty good news. Yeah. That's awesome. Praise God for what he's done, right? Now back to Romans 10. It says, Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. When a person puts their faith in Jesus, in that moment, righteousness is what they get. Freedom from the law is what they get. And this is a really, really big deal. And I know it's Super Bowl Sunday, but like there's probably not a bigger deal in this world than this, than this news. Because whenever you understand this, the Christian who, who struggles with sin and realizes, man, I realize I'm dead to sin, but certainly sin is not dead to me. It's alive in my members, as Paul would say. And they, whenever they, they blow it, they feel like, man, I could never be made right with God again. That's a wrong understanding of what salvation is because it was never contingent on what you and I do that could earn right standing. It's based on everything that Jesus has done for us that gives us a righteousness that is not our own. When Jesus said it's finished, it was It was finished. I want to remind you of just this definition that we've been talking through early on in in Romans, but it's justification. And this is a a theological term, but but it's important for us to understand. Here's what justification is. Justification is the act of God whereby he forgives the unsaved person's sins and credits to them the righteousness of Christ when through faith 
they believe. When you ask someone, what does salvation mean? What does it mean to be saved? A lot of times they'll say, it means to be forgiven, which is a wonderful truth, and that is true, but it's only partly true. But it is true. You've been forgiven. And it's important for you to understand this. Whenever you experience salvation, you're, you're, you're forgiven, not just a little forgiven, not like 95% forgiven, and you've got to figure out the other 5%. No, you're 100% forgiven. The Bible says as far as the east is from the west, so far as you removed your sin and transgressions from you. And this is really good news. He didn't just forgive your past sins. He forgave your past sins, your present sins, and your future sins. And for us in our finite minds, sometimes we really struggle with that. And they say, well, how could God forgive my future sins that I haven't even committed yet? And I would say, suggest the same way that he forgave your past sins on the cross over 2,000 years ago. He's forgiven you. You've been forgiven. You're outside the realm of, of condemnation whenever you surrender your life to Jesus. Therefore, uh, we, we, we've been forgiven. He's forgiven the unsaved person's sins. And now he doesn't just forgive our sins. He's credits to them the righteousness of Christ. And so once we were bankrupt on righteousness, I had no right standing before God. As we just saw in Isaiah that all of our righteous acts are just kind of like filthy rags before him. So bankrupt in righteousness, but now at the moment of salvation, the moment you surrender your life to Jesus, not only is your sins forgiven, but he credits to your account the infinite righteousness of Christ. So when God sees you, he sees you as righteous as Jesus is. And all that's yours when through faith we believe. Back to Romans 10.4, Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness, right standing with God for everyone who believes. Second, or third thing he gives us is a how-to guide. So how do we experience that? So his heart is for the Israelite people, people who don't know God. He talks about how now salvation really hinges on freedom from the law. And then he goes into, here's how you can experience this wonderful, wonderful news, a how-to guide for salvation. Let's look at it in verse 5. Moses describes in this way the righteousness that is by the law. The man who does these things will live by them. And so Moses wrote the, the early books of, of the Bible. So books like Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And if you've ever read those, then you realize, man, there's a whole lot of laws in there. And as you read those, you realize, well, dang, I think I'm in, if this is what I got to do, please God, I think I'm in deep trouble. And um, 613 laws in addition to all those. And so like, are you kidding me? And so one of the predominant questions of Jesus' day is, is, is of all the 613 laws, what's the most important? Like, can you just boil it down for us? And so that's why you see teachers of the law coming to Jesus saying, hey, what's the most important law in all of, all of the Old Testament? And they're not asking that because they're really trying to please God. I think they're just exhausted of trying to please God. And so what does Jesus say? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, and the seconds like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And if you do that, you'll fulfill all the law and in the prophets. But, but what Paul's saying here in Romans chapter 5 is, is if you're going to do this, if you're going you're to say, man, my right standing with God is based on my performance, I'm going to keep the law. He just says, man, you can try that. One, it won't work. Two, it's exhausting. And he contrasts that living life under the law, trying to please God with this, contrasting that with how you experience salvation. Now let's look at it in verse 6 and 7. He says, but the righteousness that is by faith says, don't say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the deep? That is to bring Christ up. And you might be like, what in the world is he talking about there? What he's saying is it's not this mystical journey. Like you don't have to like try to climb into heaven to achieve salvation. You don't have to try to 
to, to navigate, go on this excursion to the depths of the earth to, to draw out salvation. It doesn't require you to chart a course across the ocean or climb a high mountain. Look what he says in verse 8. But it says, the word is near you. That is, it's in your mouth. It's in your heart. That is the word of faith that we're talking about here, the word of faith that we are proclaiming. What Paul's saying is the word of God's all around you. Like God's always speaking to you. Uh, we read this in, in Psalms 19. He says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There's not a language or, or an air part of the world where their voice is not heard. I mean, God is always speaking. You look at the stars, he's saying, I'm a big God. You look at the sun and how it's, it's cl close enough to the earth to really warm the earth, but not, not so close that it incinerates the earth. You're like, wow, that's a big God. You see the moon at night, wow, it's a big God. You see creation, it's always, he's always speaking to us. Not only that, but, but God speaks to us through through his revealed word, like the revelation of God, like God gave the Jewish people his word as this, this like they're entrusted with this. They, they had God's always speaking. And many of us here in the room, like you probably got like eight different translations of this thing in your house, like God's words all around you. On your phone, in your pocket, you got like one access to 1,500 translations of the Bible, like God's always speaking. You can go online and you can look at ChatGBT. And uh, I, I did that this week and said, said how, how, I asked ChatGBT, how can I be saved? And this is what it gave me. Recognize your need for salvation. Believe in Jesus. Repentance. Receive salvation by grace through faith. Follow Jesus. Be baptized. That'll preach. Like, and that's ChatGPT. I'm just saying it's all around us. You do a Google search. How can I be saved? Here's a Google search. Well, basically, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Oh, there you go. And then, it, hey, you got questions? Here, you got answers. Like, I'm just saying the word of God is all around us. And Paul's saying it's not, you don't have to go, you don't have to climb a mountain to get it. You don't have to go into the depths to get it. Like it's, God has made it very accessible to you and to me. The word is very near you. Salvation is very simple. It's not simple on God's part. He's made it simple on our part. He put the cookies on the bottom shelf so we can all experience it. Verse 9 says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, here it is, you will be saved. So how do you experience salvation? One, you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. In other words, you're saying, Jesus, I'm putting you in charge of my life. Like you're going to be the leader of my life. You're going to be the CEO of my life. It's, it's, a, it's a kingly term. Like you're the Lord. You're the ruler of my life. If ever, Jesus, if ever there's a tie in my life where I want this, but your word says that, you're going to win the tie because you're the leader of my life. If ever I'm in a relationship and I want to love you, but my, this other person I'm with, they, they don't want to love you. They don't, not really interested in you. Well, gosh, God, your word talks about not being unequally. You're going to win the tie, God. You, you're the Lord of my life. So you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you put him in his rightful place. And the second thing, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. In that moment, you'll experience the greatest miracle of mankind. In that moment, you'll experience the miracle of being radically, wonderfully, powerfully, miraculously transformed. In that moment, you'll move from darkness into life. In that moment, you'll move from, from death to life. In that moment, you'll experience no longer the God of the universe being your judge. You'll experience the God of the universe being your father, calling you friend. And when you do that, the Bible says you'll be saved. 
Not you might, not, not hopefully so, you will. Be confident in it. You will be saved. Verse 10 says, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it's with your mouth that you confess and you are saved. And so you might be asking, well, what's the difference between being justified? What's the difference between being justified and the difference between being, being saved? I would suggest this. I think being saved is saving you from something. So with your, your, your mouth, you confess and you are, you're saved. And you're saved from what? Well, you're saved from hell. You're saved from another day without his presence in your life. You're saved from condemnation. You're saved from shame. You're saved from a guilty conscience. And the list could go on and on. You're saved from something. What does it mean to be justified? Well, you receive something. We talked about that. You receive forgiveness of your sins. You receive the righteousness of Christ in your life. All that's yours, you receive it by faith when you believe. So back to verse 10. If for it is with your mouth that you believe and are justified. It's with your, uh, in your heart you believe and are justified. It's with your mouth you confess and you're saved. And I just want to take a time out. Are you, are you serious? Like, I just believe and I get a relationship with God. Are you serious? I just have to confess with my mouth. Are you serious? I think, I think one second into heaven, we're going to be like, For a million years, all I did was confess and believe, and I get all this? Are you serious? He's made it very, very accessible, very, very easy, not on his part, on our part. Next, life with Jesus is better. Paul's going to make this statement. Hey, no matter what you've heard, no matter your hesitation, life with Jesus is, is better. Here's what he says. Romans 10 verse 11 says, as scriptures say, anyone who puts their trust in him will never be put to shame. I like the message paraphrase. It says, scripture reassures us. No one who trusts in God like this, heart and soul. I mean, you go all in with God, you're never going to regret it. You're never going to regret it. Some of you, maybe you've heard an invitation to receive Christ like maybe a thousand times and you have your reasons why you, you reject that, why you stiff arm that. No doubt I, I, you have your reasons. I acknowledge that. But listen, no one who trusts in him, heart and soul, will ever regret it. One moment into heaven, you'll realize it's all been worth it. But I would suggest right here, right now, it's more than worth it. I think there's a lot of Evidence. I think we could look at a lot of data to say, hey, if you live life on purpose for Jesus, your life's just going to be better. I would just say this for me personally right now, my life, my life is better because of Jesus. There's a lot of things I've regretted in my life. Uh, there's some things that are really good that I'm like, I don't even know. Like sometimes being a pastor, I'm like, I'm not even sure. I, God, I don't know about this. But not one time have I ever regretted following Jesus. Not one time have I ever woke up and said, man, I think my life would be better if I never surrendered to God, that's never, that's, that thought's never entered my mind. Listen, I, my life's better because of Jesus. My marriage is better because of Jesus. My kids are better because of Jesus. My, my, I'm a better father because of Jesus. Uh, I have a better way of living my life because of Jesus. I have a better way of looking at life because of Jesus. I have a better way of handling my problems because of Jesus. I have a better power because of Jesus. I'm in a better place because of Jesus. I have a better peace because of Jesus. I have a better grace because of Jesus. All that's because of Jesus. It's, it's just, I'm just telling you, he's better. He's better. 
and you can go in with God, heart and soul, you'll never regret it. Finally, salvation is for everyone. Paul makes this closing statement. Salvation, here's my heart's for people to experience salvation. Salvation hinges on freedom from the law. Here's how you experience salvation. Once you do experience salvation, salvation is going to be better than you ever dreamed of. And I would just say that too. The longer you follow Jesus, you're going to discover he's better than you imagined. I'll tell you this. He's better today than I thought he was last year. He's just better. The more I get to know him, the more I understand his word, the more I'm just saying he's better. And it's not just for some people. It's not just for that class of people. It's not just for that race of people. Salvation is for for everyone. Some people might think, well, you don't know me, Tim. You don't know my story. You don't know what I've done. Listen, salvation is for everyone. Romans 10.12 says this. For there is no distinction between Jews and Greeks. For the same Lord is Lord of all, watch this, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Listen, you want the riches of God in your life? You want the inheritance as a child of God on your life? He's willing to bestow his riches on everyone who will call on him. I love the way the message puts it. Let's look at the message paraphrase here. It says, it's exactly the same, no matter what a person's religious background may be. Maybe Hindu, maybe Christian, maybe Jewish, maybe pagan, may not have any religious affiliation at all. The same message is true for you. The same message is true for me. The same message is true for everyone. The same God is the God of all of us. And he's acting the same incredibly generous way to everyone who calls on him for help. Listen, he's a good God. He does good things. He's got good in your future. You're going to discover he's a whole lot better than you thought he was. But you got a call. How can you experience it? Well, you got to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You got to confess with your mouth. He's going to be the leader of my life. I'm no longer going to call the shots. God, you're going to call the shots. And in that moment, your position before God changes. No longer all the broken things I've done in my life, all the times I've screwed up, all the times I thought I got it right. Maybe my motive wasn't super pure. All that's transitioned in that moment. Now I'm clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Past, present, future sins removed, forgiven, justified. All that's yours simply through faith when you believe. Father, we thank you so much.